You ever watch the news these days and get angry? What am I missing? Am I missing something? Okay. Um, you ever watch the news these days and get angry? Do you ever watch the news and you don't know what to believe because there's something different on different channels? That's weird, isn't it? I find sometimes that as I talk to people, it used to be that, because I really love this question, and I ask it a lot, I've probably asked it to you many times, I'll say, how are you? Because I want to know, I really want to know, how are you, what's going on? Usually, people in the last 10 years respond this way, oh, busy, everybody says busy, that's the usual answer. Then you kind of probe them a little bit, and you're like, oh, what's, what's been going on? And then, the, then you have a real conversation, but everybody says busy. Lately, I've noticed, however, in the last maybe six months, I'll ask people, how you doing? And they go, ugh. That's the new answer. Ugh. That's a weird answer. Used to, oh, busy, everybody. And now they go, ugh, busy. That's how they do it. But the ugh has been inserted. And it's weird. And I think the ugh moment is because there's a lot of weird stuff going on, is there not? And sometimes I find also in our prayers, our prayers get kind of weird because we pray and we don't know what to pray. And so sometimes you pray, like, for instance, let's pray. Let's pray for St. Louis. Let's pray for our nation. Well, of course we want righteousness. Of course we want to see God's blessing. And then also you pray those things, and all of a sudden you start looking at issues, and you're like, there's so much. I don't even know where to start sometimes because there's so many things happening. And our prayers sometimes can feel like, ugh, with the Lord. And so today we're going to look at somebody who was praying, a people who were praying, actually. And we're going to read the story as we start looking at uh, Christmas time, which, boy, what a great time of year, isn't it? It's a great time of year. If you hate the Christmas songs, I don't know what's wrong with you. God help you. I don't know how to help you. No, I'm kidding. But it's great. It's a wonderful time to, uh, to remember Jesus and what he's done for us, of course. But also, it's something about this time of year where people just, you know, when, when do you ever hear the word jolly? Never. You never hear the word jolly except at Christmas time. And all of a sudden, things are supposed to be jolly at Christmas. And that's something. That's a moment. And it's a moment when the uh of life, you have a little entrance into uh, talking about what gives us true joy. And so today we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. And as we do, we're going to be looking at the angel who comes and tells Zechariah's family and Elizabeth that John the Baptist is going to be born. Now this guy in history and in, in the Bible is a prophet who's born, and he is technically a relative of Jesus's, but he is born, and his job from the Lord is to make preparations for the Messiah to come. And those preparations look differently than people expected. So everybody expected the Messiah, expected Jesus, who was the promised Savior of the world, the king who would be born to deliver Israel. When I say deliver, I mean save unto salvation. Deliver unto salvation the nation of Israel, uh, like, a, like a warrior king. Everybody expected a warrior king person who was going to militarily have deliverance for the nation. In the same way, John the Baptist, they knew this person was supposed to come because there had been all these prophecies about this prophet that would come to prepare the way of the Lord, but your expectation of what that preparation would look for was vastly different than what you actually get in John the Baptist. So if you're waiting for a delivering military warrior king, what kind of preparation would you expect? Probably army training, gathering the people, something like that. Instead, John the Baptist 
goes out to the wilderness. The people go to him. He dresses crazy. His diet's weird. And his main message is, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people don't know exactly what to do with that, except they feel in, this, in their hearts they need to repent. Now, the word repent means if you're going one direction, stop going that direction and turn around and go that way instead. And so if you are walking towards sin and selfishness, repent, turn around, turn to God, and with everything in you, walk toward him. That's John the Baptist's message. And as a way to sort of seal that message or show people uh, some action of what to do, he's baptizing them, meaning he's taking them into a river, dunking them in the water as a ceremonial cleansing. Because when you go in water like a bath, you get clean, right? So if you've said, Lord, forgive me for walking this way, I'm going to walk this way. Then the prophet also takes you into the water, dunks you in the water, and you say, you're clean now. Go and do what God has told you to do. And so that's what John the Baptist is doing. That's why his name is John the Baptist. But people don't expect that that's what he's going to be like. And the story of his birth is miraculous and really cool. And so we're going to read it together today. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. Let's read about what happens. Here's what it says. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. He was a former high priest. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before the Lord, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready the people for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years." And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people, they were all waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept to herself, herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me 
in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Praise the Lord for his word. What a cool story. So we're going to walk through this story together and just read it with understanding. The first thing that I want to just point out to you from this narrative that we read is Zechariah, he's a priest. And so that priest means that he goes and does temple service and he does things for God and ministers to the Lord, but he also ministers to the people. Now, Zechariah is described here in verse 6 as being righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. What a great reputation. Could you imagine having a reputation like that? Oh, that's, that's Jimmy Bob. And Jimmy Bob walks in all the statutes of God. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty great thing. But they have no child. Now, did they have a child, not have a child because they sinned? No, because they walked blamelessly before the Lord. So why were they not blessed with a child? It was because God had a plan for them. And I'm pointing that out to say this. The Bible is pointing it out. That sometimes things that in, our, in our life that are disappointments, the Lord uses for his glory. And this disappointment, especially in this time period, uh, a, a wife's worth oftentimes was tied to how many children she had for her husband. And Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, had no children, and she's known, her reputation is, righteous, upholding all the statutes of God, barren. That's, that's a rough reputation. And so after all this time now, God has heard their, their pleas and their cries and their prayers, and he has sent this angel to tell them this great news. What's amazing is that this news comes at the time when all the prayers are being offered. So the way that the priesthood worked, there were families in the priesthood. They were all from one tribe of Israel. There were 12 tribes. One of the tribes was designated to be the priestly tribe. And in that priestly tribe, the different families that were there had allotments of time that they would go and do the temple service. And so this is this uh, little, we read in here from Zechariah, the little detail that he was of Ajabiah's line. That's because he was part of that division of the Levites, and his time came up to go do the service. And the time probably came up, usually speaking, around a festival or something that's happening. And so we have a little detail in the story here that Zechariah goes in to burn the incense at the altar of incense, which is located inside the temple. It's the, it's the entryway from the holy place into the most holy place. And if you know your Old Testament stuff, these are little details here, but in the most holy place of the temple, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is the place where God resided in the temple. And God's presence was known to be in this place. Nobody was allowed in there. But every day at twilight, there were prayers offered, and especially at festivals, where people would gather outside the temple. And the word tells us this small detail here, that all the multitude of Israel are together praying at the temple at the time of the evening incense burning. And so there's probably a festival. There's a lot of people there. This is not just a common time. And so Zechariah goes in to burn incense, which every day was done. And incense was symbolic of the prayers of the people that are being offered to God. It was also the last altar that you went through before you'd come into God's presence in the most holy place. So in the holy place, if you want to go to where God is, you have to pass this altar and the smell of the incense is ever before the throne of God, if you will which the Bible explains to us is also the prayers of the people that come up to him all the time. And so we see in like the book of Revelation that 
there's bowls of incense that are poured out, which are the prayers of the people, and this kind of imagery all the time because the prayers are coming up to God like that burning smoke of the incense. I thought about bringing in incense, but it chokes me sometimes. And also, I, you know, that's going to fill the whole room with sparkling smoke, probably not the best. Having said that, imagine for a moment uh, if you're at a big concert or a fireworks display or something special where there's stuff burning and you can see, like the smoke is palpable. You're at the best barbecue restaurant and it, that smoke comes in all of a sudden and you can kind of see it for a second. Think about how that changes your experience. It's not just, it's, it's not casual, it's immersive now. And so if you see the fireworks display and the smoke's going, the smoke comes over you, you're part of the fireworks display. So now imagine the priest coming in to the point, very tip of where he can go, because he's not allowed to go into the most holy place. Only the high priest can do that only one time a year. Instead, he comes to the altar right on the edge of where God is, symbolically giving the incense smoke to immerse the room and the entrance to God's presence in the prayers of the people. And that's the context when an angel shows up. Now, I don't know exactly what the angel looked like, but what's Zechariah's response? He's immediately afraid. Zechariah, verse 12, was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Now, this angel is coming with a special message from God. And he's identified here later as a special angel who's Gabriel. Um, this guy Gabriel is only mentioned a couple times in the Bible. And so he has a special role to play here. But what's happening is God is sending a messenger to speak to his priest who's offering the incense and the prayers of the people at the time of the evening prayer. And what does the angel Gabriel say to Zechariah? First thing he says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Now, this is a dual meaning because he goes on to say, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. But the dual meaning here is the whole multitude of the people are just outside while Zechariah goes in to do the service of bringing the prayers and the incense before the throne of God. And it's in that moment that God comes and says, I have heard your prayer. Whose prayer is he hearing? In the context, it's for the child. But in the greater context of who this child is, he has heard the people's cry for deliverance. And he's going to bring the Christ to save them. God has heard the cry of his children. Now, this is significant because it's been about 400 years since any angel has showed up since there was any prophet doing something special, since there were any big miracles. And in that 400 years, there was a whole lot of ugh kind of stuff. A whole lot. And in that time, nations have conquered them. They're under the oppression by the Romans. The temple's been rebuilt. It's amazing. But also, there's some weird stuff going on there. There's a lot of politics. And some of the people that are running the temple really shouldn't be the people running the temple. But all the politics intertwined with Rome has made it so weird. And now we don't even know what's going on. And the faithful are gathered outside to pray. But also, there's a lot of weird stuff happening in the temple. And money's going to a lot of places. And they can't tell if things are actually good. There's a lot of uh kind of stuff happening. And it's in this moment 
that God says, I'm sending you, Zechariah, the answer to your prayer, the answer to the cry of your heart. It's a son. His name will be John. Now, John has a special duty, a special job. What is his job that he's going to do? Prepare the way for the Christ. And the angel says, you shall call his name John, verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He will not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. You know, that's special. In other words, God is going to save this child, make him his own, from the time he's born, even now in his mother's womb, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll know God. That's special. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was a famous prophet who was powerful. God used him. Now, when I say powerful, understand, people don't have power. Now, people have authority sometimes in Christ, and God gives us power, but it's God's power. People can't, it's, we're not magicians, we're Christians. In the same way, these people are following God. They're not magicians. They're not trying to conjure things or use magic. They're walking in the power that God gives them to do things. And the Lord uses Elijah to do miraculous things, to demonstrate that he is in charge, and his whole job is to bring the people of Israel who are following false gods back into repentance, and instead of going after these idols and trying to be like all these other nations, they're supposed to turn around and they're supposed to follow God now and come back to the covenant of what God has called them to do. That was Elijah's whole job. And he was given power to do that, where he did these miracles and things that God really did, as demonstrations to the people that they need to follow only him. Because the nation had devolved into witchcraft, I mean, at one point, they start sacrificing their own children to these idols. I, horrible. Ho horrible. And God is using this prophet to bring restoration. And it's in that spirit, in that same mission, that same commission, that John the Baptist, who's not Elijah, but he has the same, he has the same mission upon him, is calling the people back to repentance to prepare the way for the Lord. Then there's this little phrase in here that's interesting. What will that actually look like? Here's what the angel says. That John will go in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What does the gospel look like when it practically comes out? What an amazing statement that the relationships of the people and the families themselves are going to be turned as they turn from idolatry and disobedience and sin to the Lord, it looks like families repaired. And the hearts of fathers turned back to their children and children to their fathers. Now, Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah had also talked about these things who were other prophets. Had talked about the power of God coming upon the people that when the great deliverer Messiah comes, we'll know that he's here because the heart's of the families come back together. Isn't that good? Isn't it funny how Christmas can bring fighting families together? Just like a time when they never say jolly. There's never a time we get together. But at Christmas, we'll make an exception. And God uses this time of year to help us. 
So, Eli, uh, so John the Baptist is moving in the, in the power of Elijah, and he is making the people prepared. And his whole message is repentance. And then Zechariah, because he's an older guy, and he knows the way that the world works, even though he's blameless, he asks the angel for something. What does he ask for? Just a sign. What, would that, what kind of sign would that be? We've all asked the Lord for signs, haven't we? Isn't it funny how sometimes we ask the Lord for a sign, and then we find ourselves like looking for clouds or something? Like, Lord, just give me a sign. And you just start looking around. Like, some, like a symbol's going to fall down, an angel's going to show up, that tree bursts into flames. Please don't let that happen, Lord. What, something's going to happen. I'm going to put a fleece out. It's going to be wet or not wet, you know, depending. Something's going to happen. I haven't run out of gas in three weeks, so I know it's the Lord. You know, we're, we're looking at these kind of things. If this person calls me, it'll be a miracle. And suddenly they're calling you, and you're like, whoa, it's the Lord. And that's good. Some, God uses all those things sometimes. But Zechariah is in the temple at the altar at the entrance to the throne room of God. And the Lord sends an angel named Gabriel, who only shows up one other time in the Bible. Gabriel shows up to Daniel in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 and 8. And he talks to Daniel, and his job from God commissioned is to tell the prophet Daniel world political things that are happening that Daniel can't understand. His commission, Gabriel's commission, from God is to be a messenger to the representative of God's people to tell them about what political things God is planning in the world. Gabriel is not a good luck charm. He's not. He's not an ornament on a tree. Gabriel is a messenger from the throne room of the king of glory. And he's come to the temple to talk to the priest who is on duty. And his job is to affect world politics. And he is going to tell this guy, Zechariah, that the promised preparer is his son, that God is miraculously giving him because the world politics, the shape of the earth, is about to change when God sends his own son, the king of glory. And Zechariah, hearing all this, says, can, can you give me a sign? You know, I saw a, a video recently, it was really funny, and it was this, this guy, and he was a shepherd in, in, uh, in Ireland. And so he has sheep, and they have a sheep farm, herds, I don't know what you call that. So he's a shepherd. And so this guy comes out, and he had to change this thing on the sheep, and he had some kind of medical thing he was doing. And so he goes, I'm going to grab the sheep, which I'm not even trying an Irish accent. But he says, I'm going to go grab the sheep, and he runs out there. He doesn't run. He just walks toward the herd. And as soon as the herd sees him, now he's the shepherd, he helps them every day. He, does, he feeds them. He does all their medical things. He's the shepherd. As soon as the sheep see him, they go, huh, huh, and they start running. And they're just fall, literally falling over each other. And he tackles this big sheep who's got this crazy medical harness on and flips it around upside down and holding it. And it's almost as big as he is. The sheep's a big old sheep. And then he puts it on its, on its bottom. It's like sitting. And as soon as the sheep sits, he goes, huh. he's like, I give up. So he sees the shepherd coming. He goes, oh, no, takes two steps, tackled. And as soon as he's in the shepherd's arm, he's like, oh, hello, and just lays there. And he, on his booty, the shepherd's got his, his arms under the sheep's front 
legs. And the sheep's like, oh, how are you? You're going to do something? OK, you can do it to me. It's cool. And then he changes out the bandage or whatever he was doing. And then he puts him down. And the sheep had a name like Arthur or something. He's like, Arthur, you're good now. And the sheep's like, oh, I'm OK. I'm just walking around. And it was hilarious. It was hilarious. That's like Zechariah. That's like us. Here's the angel in the temple saying, this is what God's doing. And Zechariah sees the angel running away from the shepherd. And then the shepherd puts Zechariah down and brings a judgment on him. Now, this judgment that he has seems pretty severe. What will happen to him? Can't talk. Now, this word mute in Hebrew is interesting because the word mute in Hebrew is actually the same word for deaf and mute. There's, there's no difference between them. Later on, we're going to find in a couple chapters, when Zechariah goes to the temple after baby John is born, there's a dispute about what they're going to name the baby. Because John is not a normal family name, and everybody else wants to name him after his dad, after Zechariah. And so they come in. Elizabeth says his name's going to be John. And they're like, OK, that's great. Let's bring in the dad, because that's, not a, that's clearly not the name. Thank you for trying. She's the mom, OK. So they bring in Zechariah, and Zechariah, making signs, asks them to bring a tablet where he can write. And as they bring him in, and they're trying to figure out what to name the baby, it says that the crowd is making signs toward Zechariah to try to ask him what the baby's name should be. Because Zechariah here is not just not speaking. He can't hear anything. He's mute and deaf. It's, and, the, and the word means both. But they wouldn't be making signs to him. He'd be making all the signs. But they're trying to make signs to him to ask him, what should we name this baby? He's deaf and mute. And God puts that on this guy for a little bit because he doesn't believe. Time comes. He goes home. Elizabeth conceives a child. And for five months, she hides herself away as the baby grows. The very next scene we will see of Elizabeth is the baby Jesus in Mary coming to visit her. And as a sign to Mary and to us, the baby's going to leap for joy within Elizabeth because God is good on his word. Here's an amazing thing. It's been 400 years since the people have heard or felt the presence and the word of God. For 400 years, they've still come to the temple as they have tried to. Sometimes it's been destroyed. For 400 years, they've given their prayers. For 400 years, they've continued the sacrifices. And now God is changing world politics. And here's the good news that's full of great joy. Did you know that because God sends his son Jesus, you don't have to wait 400 years for God to hear your prayers. That God hears the prayers of the people like incense coming up to him, but it took a long time. And not only did he hear the prayers of the people for deliverance, he also heard the prayers of Zechariah. What would he have prayed? Because Gabriel says, God heard your prayers and you're having a baby. Maybe he prayed, Lord, take this bad reputation away from Elizabeth. Lord, if there's any way, please. Lord, will you remember us? 
Lord, I have no lineage. Lord, what shall I do? Lord, I know I've walked in your statutes and I trust you, but the society, they don't respect us. What, what do I do, God? And the Lord hears his prayers. Did you know that the Bible tells us that God hears your prayers and your deepest desires? And he doesn't wait 400 years. And the reason he doesn't wait 400 years is because with great joy, with tidings of gladness, with rejoicing for all people, God sent a baby. Not just John to prepare the way, but his own son who would come to earth, who would fulfill all the law and the prophets, who would live perfectly on the earth, who would die and take the wrath of sin for us. And when he did so, he closed the gap that was between God's throne room and the limit where the people could come. And instead, when Jesus died, did you know that that curtain that was between the altar of incense in the holy place and the most holy place was torn from top to bottom? Did you know that it was several feet thick like carpet? And it tore from top to bottom because God, through his son Jesus, heard our prayers and brought us into communion with himself. And now the great word of joy and hope that we have is in Jesus Christ because of his death and resurrection. As we believe in him, we don't have to wait 400 years. We don't have to wonder, did the incense reach him? Did it get through okay? Did we do it right? Because he did it all right. And now we can trust him that he hears our prayers. He hears the deepest prayers. And he's ruling and reigning and using us. What a great God we serve. And as we come into Christmas and everybody starts using words like jolly, it really is a great time. Not because of Santa Claus or presents, although presents are awesome. I don't know about Santa. Not just because of these things. Not because of the, the you know, there's popcorn and we got roasted chestnuts on an open fire, which is terrible, by the way. Don't ever eat that. It's the worst thing you've ever tasted in your life. It's the worst. I had it one time. It's disgusting. It's not because of the Christmas pudding. It's not because we're all together. It's not because of time off. It's because God heard our prayers. It's because God sent his own son who gave us life in him that now we don't have to be afraid of 400 years of silence. But instead, he's with us. He hears us. He is leading us. And we have a good shepherd that we don't need to be afraid, afraid to run away from. He pulls us into himself. And his balm covers us and heals us because he's so good. Isn't that joyful? You know, a lot of these things when I'm talking to people and the ugh comes out. It comes out a lot. You know, it comes out of me sometimes too. A lot. There's a lot. Have you ever had just a heavy season where there's heavy things on you? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Let the joy of this time, let the joy of remembering Jesus Christ, let Jesus Christ who is our joy, Permeate your heart and remember today that God hears your prayers and answers them. His news is joy and gladness. What will it look like for us this holiday season, this time of Christmas, to bring that kind of joy into our workplaces, to bring that kind of joy into our families, to bring the joy of knowing that God is speaking through us everywhere we go? How do you do that? Here's one thing that you can do from this little sermon, is instead of coming out of this saying, Lord, give me a sign that you're doing something. Instead of praying that, just say, Lord, I trust you. 
and change the response of how you're doing. Always be honest. If you're doing poorly, tell people you're doing poorly. But don't let uh or busy come out of your mouth. Let something else come out. Let something real come out. Really how you're doing or really why you have joy. Here's something that you can say that will freak people out. If you say, I am jolly today because Jesus Christ is my life, people will not know what to do with you. They won't. They will quick, you'll probably get through the schnooks line really fast. This is, okay, great, please leave. But here's my point. Let's not be like the world. The world, uh, busy, that's all they got. Fine, that's all they have. Or they don't even respond. Have you ever, someone, sometimes people just say nothing, it's weird. Let's be a people full of the joy of God. One way we can do that, how do you answer the question? If you are not in joy today, and things are really bad, I'm telling you, God hears your prayers. I'm not saying this because you have to be happy all the time. Happy and joy are different. They're different, and there's seasons of unhappiness, even at Christmas. But God hears your prayers. And so let the joy of the Lord bubble up in you to be your strength, because God hears our prayers and has heard and sent his son for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Will you stand? Father, you are good. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your word. Thank you that you sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. But thank you, Lord, that you sent your own son. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for his death and resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that we have joy and gladness, not just from a prepared way, but because you answered all the prayers. Lord, because you brought your son and because he made a way for us. Lord, we trust you and we love you. Father, I pray for anybody with heartache right now who's sad. Lord, I pray that you would meet them in their sadness. Father, that you would bring real joy to them. Lord, even in, in unhappiness. Father, that you would hear their prayers, that they would know that you are close to them. Comfort them, Lord, I pray. But Father, I also ask that you would bring us all through to remember Jesus Christ, our Savior, risen from the dead, the joy of the whole earth. Lord, that you that you answer our prayers, that you hear us when we call upon you, that you have delivered us because you are our deliverance. Lord, help that joy to be strength in us, that at the line at Schnooks, that as we talk to our families, as we see the hearts of fathers turned to their children and children toward their fathers, Lord, that we would give glory to Jesus, who is our joy. We praise you and look to you, God, because you are, you are our everything. Thank you, Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, know the God of joy who answers our prayers, and that he is with you. God bless you. Have a great week, and men, we'll see you on Wednesday. Blessings to you all. Thank you. We're dismissed.